0: A big week in the emerging cricket world, the shock emissions of a number of players ahead of the T20 World Cup, East Asia-Pacific sub-regional qualifier A in Vanuatu, as well as a League 2 move by Namibia in Papua New Guinea. If you're an emerging cricket patron, there is a longer version of this episode coming very soon, and if you aren't a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash emerging cricket for as little as $2 US a month. Enjoy this week's show and as a reminder, we'll have a complete wrap of the Women's T20 World Cup Qualifier next week when that tournament is run and done. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth. Uh, somewhat of a special edition as we wrap up some uh, East Asia-Pacific qualifier action. Uh, subregional A, as we had last week in Vanuatu, of course, joining Tim over there. Tim is here, as well as Nick, and one other special guest. Ooh. Ooh. We haven't used that in a while. First, Nick, how how are you? Teamed up with Tom last week, did an excellent job covering everything else outside of uh, Vanuatu. How's everything going?
1: Well, very well. We're uh, travelling to the north of Iceland yeah, this week on a on a mini getaway, so that should be fun. Some small, uh, I don't know, rural fishing villages, I guess. I'm not really too sure what's outside of Reykjavik, but uh, I guess we'll find out.
0: One way to find out, isn't it? Just drive around and knock about a little bit like our uh, Afate ring road trip, Timothy, last week.
2: <laughs> well... You know, the third series of traps about cities and towns outside of Reykjavik is, is on, so I feel like I'm also there, Nicholas, but uh, I'm good, Daniel. It's it's very strange seeing you and Mel on, on screen as opposed to either being asleep on a sofa next to me or in a commentary box next to me, but uh, good to be here and honestly still on a high after last week.
0: Yeah, it's probably worth bringing in the uh, fourth member of the pod this week. She said she wasn't going to watch much cricket at the tournament. She ended up hanging around, not only watching every match, but then uh, creating an Excel spreadsheet, uh, doing her own scoring, and almost becoming.
2: Uh, no, no, sorry. I'm going to create a spreadsheet that will revolutionise cricket.
0: But that was verbatim. Did,
2: did
1: Mel just invent the scorecard?
0: It was a better. It was a better version of the scorecard. Ended up providing some key statistics throughout the tournament. Mel Gold, we welcome into a long-awaited emerging cricket podcast debut.
3: Yeah. Um... Thanks for finally letting me be involved, despite me sleeping in the background of probably the first 80 episodes. Yeah, nice to finally be allowed on the podcast after way too many episodes and um, sleeping while they're being recorded from the very, very early days Um, and finally have a valid reason for you not to keep me from the podcast any longer.
0: For those wanting a serious recollection or a report on the tournament last week, you would have missed three games as we recorded most of of the wrap lunch on the penultimate day of the competition. So just to kind of wrap it up, Samoa finishing in fourth with one win. Fiji ended up claiming second with three wins, as did uh, the Cook Islands with three wins. Fiji managed to beat the Cook Islands on net run rate, pipped them. Your boys Vanuatu taking the top gong. Again, We covered quite a bit of this last week on our show, Tim, but now with Vanuatu as victors and progressing to the regional final next year, uh, not only winning the tournament as host, but also running it to an unbelievable level. Between yourself, Jamal Vera, Pierre Chilia, everyone involved in the Vanuatu Cricket Association, I can speak wholeheartedly and say that that was an incredibly run tournament, well-organised, well-executed. Everything was was brilliant, and thankfully the cricket even managed to usurp all of that, which is ultimately what you want out of a cricket tournament. So I know you said you're still sort of beaming it on a high, but looking back now, you know, what What are your memories and, and what are your thoughts about how everything uh, went on last week?
2: Thank you, Daniel. And it's one of those things I hear you, you talking and thinking there's so many events like ours that happen around our emerging cricket world. I sort of think of Finland hosting events for the first time and the Netherlands was mega events and, and throughout Africa. So I, I think it's we're sort of one of many and I guess we've been lucky that we were, we were, I say all there, but again, we've all missed out because we could sort of think back to events. We've all been there, Nicholas, Daniel, uh, in Namibia. But now that uh, we've got a fourth member of the team on, on the pod and uh, it was only Nick Skinner that was missing out, then, uh, yeah, it was, look, stressful. But in the sense of just wanting things to, to come together and when I got to the point of leading up to the event it was the weather that was bothering me more than anything and I th- I think that was a, a great place to be and I said sort of, I look back and and hear you talking about it and I have a, a jaundiced view of this because I'm in the middle of it I see behind the curtain and everything in front and I'm kind of riding every wave but it's it's people like you and and probably even more so is that the crowds that we we saw there coming and cheering and enjoying it and just loving the game for what it was that or and what it is that makes it makes it all worthwhile which pretty damn cool so yeah the fact that Vanuatu I can say we can't we you know it's I can say we uh, got through on, on that last day in the rain You know, it's raining both sides, slippery ball. Josh Razu taking another Scream River catch. And to know that we've got a few photos from the background, to see him diving into the abyss to take that catch as it's drizzling with rain and a wet ball, and to see people kind of gathered under the tents and then jumping out with the flags, you know, that's what it's all about. So how do I feel just proud of the team? You know, you mentioned Jamal, and I know we we talked about him last time, but this is a – I hate to say kid – that not yet 30 hasn't yet played international cricket in front of his family at home and makes himself ineligible to make sure that the tournaments run right Pierre Chilia, first employee of the of the VCA 21 years ago running this volunteer army making sure that everything is looked after security wise all the little jobs in the background that that nobody sees well what we do see because people are running off collecting balls off into the the banana plant, plantation off into the the archery field but it's all those little bits that need to come together for for it to work and and to be able to sit there next to you two in the commentary box and watch it all happen in front of me was pretty inspiring really so to look back on it and to know that you know the boys after not being able to play at home for 12 years come out under that pressure and perform and win and to, to see the see the joy and cheer at the end uh yeah, I feel pretty good. And as you said, I'm, I think I'm still riding the high. I played the worst golf of my life over the weekend. I'm, I'm not even going to say the scores, it's just embarrassing. But I've never been so happy to hit, hit the ball so badly because I was just still... Jeez, it must have been good. ...riding the wave of... of. Oh, look, it... it <laughs> I've never been so bad, but again, I I didn't care. And that's so not me. Normally I'd be like, I would having a stern talk with myself, but (laughs) I haven't. And I think back to how I felt in the the Blitz, you know, Hong Kong Blitz year one and year two and and similar feelings when you just see everyone pulling together. Um, But this was that next step where this was at the end of an international tournament and no international cricket for almost three years, everything that the team dealt with, all the challenges in Canada, a lot of them unpleasant and still kind of really make me angry to sort of reflect on and to see that all happen in in front of us. And and as you said, to have this crowd on a Thursday afternoon in the pouring rain, hundreds of people are watching Vanuatu men's cricket team play. They think, well, great. How amazing is this? And, And how much can the game grow from that? So to know that we've got the Women's Pacific Cup hopefully Coming in two weeks' time, we've got the men's and women's Indigenous teams coming over to Vanuatu next year. We've got Pacific Cricket Challenge in Fiji, and we've got a, a a regional final where we're one step away from the World Cup. It just is, yeah, it's pretty awe inspiring. So I'm sorry I took four minutes from everyone's time, but that's how I'm feeling.
0: No, I think if anyone if anyone can spend four minutes talking about this, it's you know the CEO of the of the organisation. Talked about the rain on the final day. It was almost. I suppose, the final test for the hybrid surface. And, you know, for the five days leading up to it, uh, it held up excellently well. It was probably getting on the tired side as any other cricket wicket would after six days of action and what was eventually 12 T20 internationals on it. How did it kind of hold up after the rain there at the end? Did you sort of hear any feedback from, from any of the players afterwards? I know Vanuatu sort of cruised to. To victory with the Cook Islands needing a obviously a, not only a win but a big win at that, and then falling you know quite a distance short given that they were going for a net run rate victory. Um, what was the the feedback from from the teams?
2: Oh, I think people were really not sure what was going to happen, didn't know what to expect, and then when it played somewhere in the middle and consistently, I think it was the last thing on everyone's mind, which is probably what we wanted. It wasn't gonna play like the Wacker, it wasn't gonna play like Bel Reeve Oval, and it wasn't gonna play like a Green Seamer in in April in the UK. So I think the fact that the pitch sort of held up, as you said, and even looking at it, you could probably look at some of the last days of games, you can start seeing the the pitch start to pull back on the side, start curling back like it's coming, like the actual synthetic grass is starting to curl back from the the glued edge of, of the wicket. So I sort of feel like we're reaching the edges of, of what the wicket could handle, as it was. And I sort of thought that day six, it was looking tired and I was a little bit worried truth be told looking at it on that last day thinking ooh if some of these sort of these cuz you're putting glue on top you know some of these glued parts if they start coming off in plates we could start seeing some difficulty for for bowlers foot marks and potentially for spinners into foot marks but we I think we saw like two or three balls maybe kick from a spinner and I don't mean kick into someone's head I mean like bounce and they're oh that's turned a bit which is something you'd think about on a day three or day four wicket I know that we're not asking for a day three or day four wicket you want t20 and flat but considering what we're dealing with could not be happier and if the men's team hadn't been away for three months prior we may have been able to do even more work to get it back to like an as new status like re-gluing and and combing all of the artificial grass through. But, you know, t- <laughs> I don't know too many pitches that aren't artificial that have ever been played on that much um, and, and held up the whole way through. And I think talking to the umpires as well, you know, I think they've probably got one of the best views there. I think they're all sort of universally, oh, this is different. You know, it makes a different sound and it does all these things we're not used to. But I didn't hear anyone saying, oh, you know, if only the pitch was better or that one held up or that one... That one was slow. So, look, I'm really excited about what this could mean, you know, and for us hosting tournaments in the future, yes, but it's more for other countries like us who are thinking, oh, is this worth our while? And I think the answer is absolutely.
3: For me, the the best parts of the tournament was always about how invested absolutely everyone involved was in the cricket that was happening. So Tim's already talked a lot about how much it it meant to him and you could see it the entire week, how much this tournament meant to Tim and the rest of everyone at the Vanuatu Cricket Association and just the players from every single nation. So not just Vanuatu who those boys were really, really aware of what it meant to be hosting this tournament in front of a home crowd. And what the opportunity to show these people what cricket they can play now, like what that meant to them. But for all the other nations, like the Samoa boys, Jimmy Baker was so emotional at that that um, chat with you, Bez, at the end of the tournament. And the rest of the team felt like that. Like I was talking to TI after the, the last match and, and he was talking the exact same way of what it meant to them to have this opportunity to take these cricketers from these smaller nations in the Pacific and show them what you can do with cricket, what cricket means on an international scale and and really advance their game. And there wasn't a player in the whole tournament who wasn't wholeheartedly invested in not only representing their countries, but also representing cricket and doing the best job they could of that. Yeah, everyone was just there because they loved cricket.
0: Yeah, I think before we sort of talk about, I, I guess, the kind of key performers. I think the one thing that I'm not concerned about but moving forward is, you know, what's next for a lot of these these players. Now I know Tim you've got yeah, you said, you know, there's a Pacific Challenge and there's Pacific games hopefully on the horizon on the horizon. But you're hoping that, you know, the calendar can be filled with Olympic qualification, you know, fifty over cricket, uh, any other way, bilateral tours and there was talk of of some of the teams putting together a few tours of their own. But, you know, this is all well and good, you know, for a week. And and we got to watch some high-quality cricket. And a number of these guys will go and play, whether it be club cricket in summer or for someone like Marave, a season of, of domestic cricket. And we'll talk about him probably in a moment as well. But, yeah, it's just about what's next now. And, Tim, I know that for you it'll obviously be a big mission to kind of kickstart some cricket in, in the country there and, and hopefully sort of riding the crest of, of a wave. But yeah, talking to especially to the guys from the Cooks who are split roughly half-half, you know, they've got an eight-club tournament in Rarotonga, uh, eight-club competition, plus the guys sort of based in, in NZ and then Samoa is roughly a, a similar split, although I think, you know, the, the talent is concentrated into even fewer clubs in Samoa even in comparison to, to the Cooks. So yeah, for me... It's all about, you know, what's next for a number of these places and, you know, even if it's just garnering some sort of bond and friendships between the boards and between, you know, teams and and support staff, even organising trips away and and playing some more cricket, we know that money comes into it quite a bit and and the funding structure and, you know, we've talked about that so many times that... Yeah, the big question is now what's next. You know, I, I know Vanuatu, it's a little bit of an easier question to answer, but for someone like Samoa or, or Fiji, what what's coming? And you know, what what is the future looking like because, you know, it took what 8 years for the Cook Islands to play international cricket after their last go at it. And you know, there were only one or two players from that squad who were back, I think it was only Davis Tanaki and, and Horry Miller and, and Hori only played, you know, just a couple of games before he was eventually sort of rested and our way prima took the gloves. So it's important that we need to find that sort of happy balance where, you know, we all get cricket and the, and the calendar is filled for, for every single one of these teams, because there's just too much talent in the region to, to go astray and to go um, notoriously undercovered, which it has for, for too long.
2: Yeah. And that's a, The tough legacy from this is to, there's so much positive feeling and and, and so much to be feeling good about. But the thing that I feel better about is that the men's T20 World Cup is now, let's say, guaranteed with air quotes to be every two years, which will mean that these qualifiers will happen every two years and being subsidized by the ICC. But I say subsidized, you know, a a loose term in the sense the ICC pay for flights, match day accommodation match day. I can go through everything if you want, but match day meals. Uh, But there there are still things that need to go on top, you know, player allowances, physio costs and meals that fall outside match days. All these things start piling up. And if you're from a a member like the Cook Islands, for example, that is in the the teens of thousands of dollars um, being granted them by the ICC by virtue of where they sit on the on the census all of a sudden you have the situation is what we we saw is that they're having to go out cap in hand looking for sponsors and or you have a, a benefactor who's there willing to put their own personal money behind it for it to happen and without that happening the cooks wouldn't have been able to make it and as you mentioned you yeah, know half of them were based in the cooks and another other half in New Zealand but by that virtue alone that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to make it it just it should mean that the system should allow them to to be able to be there and play and train etc so the fact that it, it, it took these sort of extraordinary feats of people wanting them to be there for it to happen probably says that you know is, is the game doing enough to to help those countries and members who want to help themselves be there. And I think, you know, the answer is no. So I think the hard thing there is uh, where, where to next? It's for the likes of, you know, the Cooks is a, a great example of a small, you know, region who are wanting to grow the game. And this will hopefully get them into the mind's eye of, of, of those at home who are, you know, it's a, a country another FIFA member <laughs> dictated by the how much funding fi- filters through for football and how does cricket break through. Well, their cricket team has just achieved something, and whilst they've had a, a Lawn Bowls medal in, in the Commonwealth Games in the past, their national cricket team has just won three games against countries, well, yeah, they don't even have a ranking. So you can't even say where where they're ranked, but I guess it's good that we, we, we can against Vanuatu, Fiji and Samoa and done it pretty well. And people are talking about cricket now and how do they leverage that and how, how do they move forward? So what comes from there? Yeah, and I think the hard thing is in, in this region, probably more so than, than any other one is, is how expensive things are, how, it, how expensive it is to move between islands, between island nations and just generally things are, are costing more, and how to think about that from a cricket point of view? That's 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 another challenge again. So it's I think how can the game nurture that? It's a, it's a tough one because it's a real kind of bit of pill to swallow when you see all this positivity and and they leave, and exactly as you're saying, for us it's great. to the regional final, you know, target PNG, target Philippines, target whoever is who's coming out of the East Asia final. But what next for the for these other three teams? That as you talked about, you know, half the Samoan team will will go back to to New Zealand and Australia and continue with their cricket and their professional lives and the other half back to Samoa and likewise with, with the Cook Islands but 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 what's next and you'd hate to think that the energy from this, this event is lost so look I know how hard the region if we look from a Pacific point of view is working on trying to build an identity and that's sort of building through the Pacific Cup which is going to start with a women's tournament and as we look into the future into next year but you know, as, as great as it is that there's a men's T20 World Cup every two years, that means the next time this event is going to happen is 2024, which, <laughs> as we know in anyone's language these days, is a long time away. And and what is going to be happening then? And, and where is the game going to be there in Samoa, Fiji and the Cook Islands?
3: Well, my, my favourite thing about the unique dynamic of these countries that hadn't played as much international cricket is you ended up with these sides that had enormous age ranges. So you had like in some you had like Darren Roach who's like 16. Bismarck Schuster's less than 20. And then who else was in that team? Dougie Feenow. Dougie Feenow was also really young. Dad. Liam Denny's 16. I didn't find that out until like day six. I thought he was like late 20s at least with how well he was bowling.
2: Me too. When I was reading about it. Yeah. I couldn't believe he's 16. I
3: can't, I cannot believe he's 16. He carried himself so maturely and then he can, like, he can really bowl. It was so great watching someone like Schuster take like his first wicket in like a T20 international and then appeal his like little butt off despite it being a catch like yeah, it was, like, cool, it was just it was just it was just so great to watch like these young raw cricket players have this like enormous opportunity and to have these more mature voices in the team really mentor them through them and watch watch them grow in their cricket like you were saying with Sula Lotto. you see it across the tournament of these players growing up and, and rising to to what's expected of them.
0: It was great. We had a good moment actually with um, Joni Wasali, Bettini Bulu, as we were at the airport flying home and they all checked in and he basically just turned around walked up to me in, in the check-in queue and we had, like, a two-minute conversation and, and yeah, just thanked each other for the week that we just had. It was one of those moments that you just kind of... You don't really forget. And you kind of take for granted, even with streams and stuff now, that you just think, oh, you're just watching these guys play cricket. And, and yeah, we all kind of go back to our respective lives, but you don't forget anything like that and you don't forget the experience like that anytime soon. And I can't tell you how strong the tournament came across... And it was just so enjoyable to, to cover. Yeah, again, it just comes back to the, the same point, you know. We just hope that, you know, we can do stuff like this more and more because... And, and it's not just in Pacific cricket. It's everywhere in the emerging cricket world. And it's one of the reasons why we kind of started all of this as well. And it takes sometimes it takes events like that to kind of hit home just how important it is to to talk about what we talk about every week. So... Yeah, from that end, um, unless anyone's got anything to add, I think it's probably a good way to kind of tie up. Thank you for joining us, Mel, talk about...
3: I want my law chain. She <laughs> she
0: really has been listening to the pod. So while we have kind of wrapped up everything from the East Asia-Pacific Sub-Regional Qualifier A, uh, it would be remiss not for us to ask, like we do with all of our podcast guests, if you could change any law in, in cricket, what, what would it be and why?
3: I've been waiting years <laughs> to answer this question.
1: That'd be a good one.
3: <laughs> so I have two. I have two. I have one that I've been sitting on for when this opportunity arose and one that occurred to me whilst watching the tournament last week. So um, the first one. Is that in cricket, we we care a bit too much about tradition sometimes. And I, I really think there's an area that we haven't been trying to develop enough. And I think it's the ball. So I reckon we should um make it all seam. Just have a nice little spiral stitch so the entire face of the ball is just seam.
0: You're a fruitcake. <laughs> you are a fruitcake.
1: I don't even know where to go from that <laughs> have you watched any of those youtube videos where you see how cricket ball is made
3: um no i've seen i've seen lots about there's a guy on tiktok who makes his own footballs out of like all sorts of weird materials and he made like a world map football and stuff but i don't, I don't i've never i've never watched a video about cricket balls being made i reckon i could make one like a stitch that goes all the way around Um, I also had a great time every time we were at the tournament, someone had been on the podcast and I'd be like, here's what my law change would be. And they were all a bit amused. Um, Yeah. Um, But the (laughs) law change that occurred to me while we were at the tournament, and it's also based on me playing a lot of Tim's um, hated game of football, um, is that at one point someone hit a ball and it was clearly going for four and it hit the umpire and then it's just like, They got no runs and it's just a dot ball. So I reckon it should be like football where like football, it hits the ref, drop kick hits the umpire redo the ball <laughs> unfair get rid of it
2: so what do you what do you do you throw the ball up and and someone the, uh a batter and a fielder have to I run would at love, it at the same time i would time?
3: love so much to see a cricket a cricket drop ball you just get both captains in the center the umpire drops it and they both just have to try whack it for six that would be incredible but no i reckon just replay the ball just replay it okay. the umpires weren't impressed with that law change either they were like yeah but then they would be like i don't care
0: Shall we talk about some other cricket that happened this week? Yes, let's. Yes. Uh, Cricket World Cup League 2 series, also in the Pacific. Amini Park, Port Moresby. Uh, Namibia storming away with what is a good tri-series, although I think they are also profiting by the fact that the uh, other two teams in the tri-series are not performing to the standard that they could be playing at. Uh, the USA have had a bit of a disastrous tour, it must be said, and a number of key American cricketing media figures have, have made their opinions known. Anyone who wants to read a good PDP rant, you've got basically two of them already uh, out of this particular tri-series. But to focus on a team that is doing well on the field, although they are experiencing uh, a little bit of chaos of their own off it with a few injuries uh, out of their control... Namibia looking the goods Michael van Lingen making 100 Gerard Erasmus making runs everyone taking catches even the head coach who managed to run on and and claim one as a sub fielder uh, (laughs) and their win over PNG as well Uh, injuries to JJ Smith his knee is a bit of a recurring thing and that is potentially troublesome not only for the T20 World Cup but future international cricket where yeah that seems to be sort of curtailing all of his fast bowling aspirations Lohan Lovren's dislocated his shoulder and had it pop back in from all reports uh that was done okay eventually uh piki France has an intercostal injury uh reuben trumpman was off the field hence why uh pierre de came on and and took that catch so there are question marks about the t20 world cup coming up and Howard Erasmus is ensuring that he doesn't get hit on the finger again? I did see one of the uh, deliveries from uh, Sema Kamea actually sort of kick up and almost hit him on the handle. And that was a slightly worrisome moment from a Namibian standpoint. But they are making a bit of a run here in League Two cricket at the moment at the expense of uh, hapless PNG and a USA side, Nick, in a little bit of turmoil.
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm never going to be uh, sick of the schadenfreude that comes with the USA playing badly. And, uh, gee, they they did play quite poorly in this series, it must be said. Um, Bernard Scholtz, 6 for 24 in 18.5 overs across two matches against the US. It's kind of... I was talking to Nate about this, and we were sort of amazed at how badly they do play against left-arm spin. Because, I mean, Bernard Scholtz is a, he's a very good bowler, and he has a lot of experience, but... <laughs> going at nearly one run and over against him uh, across two matches like there's there's definitely a big issue there for the for the Americans and the fact that they can't seem to get the hang of left-arm spin when they have so many left-arm spinners both in their squad and even back home around the traps in in minor league cricket and you know there's there's quite a lot of guys bowling decent enough left-arm spin that you'd you'd think the American batters would be a, a bit more used to it but they they just don't seem to be able to Figure it out. It, it's quite strange. Um, yeah. So two very bad batting performances from the USA uh, against Namibia. Um, there's not really a whole lot to be said. P- PDP said it all. Really, they they just weren't trying. And and in that um article you refer to from PDP, he he makes a comparison between uh Herat Erasmus, who hit I think it was about 80 or 70 against the against the US and looked really really good. And he, he gritted it out. You know, there were some tough periods in that game. And, and the Namibians all, you know, they stuck around. They, they they grafted with the bat. And the U.S. just don't seem to have that. Or I, I'm i not sure if it's a mental thing. or Because, you know, a lot of these guys are very good at hitting a cricket ball. And, and plenty of them have a good technique as well. So it, it seems like it must be some kind of, yeah, I, I don't know, just a mentality thing. Because y- you watch them play, they just look totally... Clueless and, uh, you know, Tom and I were saying before the series that that Scholtz and um, uh, Lofty Eaton looking pretty keenly at the American batting against PNG on these tracks. And, yeah, they they just batted even worse against the Namibian bowlers than they were against the PNG bowlers. Um, And, yeah, the the two spinners really cleaned up. I think Namibia obviously are a a very good team, and the fact that they have such great team discipline and and they work as a unit certainly helped. And the Americans, we know they're kind of disparate Players and they come together for these series and there's always a lot of sort of shuffling around between the squads, so that's an issue for them. But yeah, they they have looked quite bad. Um, Nice to see um, Stephen Bard in the runs. Uh, He's been kind of struggling. Yeah, probably the last year or two, he hasn't made that many big scores. So, so the fact he's he's more um you know he's batting well again is is helpful for them coming into the, uh the World Cup, especially since as you say there's a number of uh, injury questions. Uh, Lawrence back in the fold is good. They don't really seem to be missing uh Craig Williams, although I'm sure they are in terms of the experience, but you know they've been able to fill his. Uh, fill his place in the middle order very effectively. Uh, Michael van Lingen obviously is a, a a big talent and you know just his ability against the short ball especially is uh, quite special. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot more of him over the next few years. Uh, uh, Devan Lecoq, another one who uh, has come up through the under-19s program and, and has looked really good for a couple of years and been sort of there or thereabouts. And this we're also, I think, we're seeing the benefits of Namibia's... Um, they do experiment a lot with their team. They do rotate players a lot. You know, you look at their home series where they, they play quite a lot of guys and, and sort of shuffle people in and out of the team a lot. Um, and, and that approach has paid dividends in the fact that they have a number of uh, guys ready to go with international experience and, and with capacity to just step into a role that, that they know pretty well. So, yeah, great series from Namibia. Looking at the points table... You know, they're making a charge up the ladder with a number of games in hand on most other teams. They're already ahead of Nepal. So they're in a pretty good position now in terms of uh, points per match. And, and they've got two more home series coming up in Vintuk. So they're in a pretty good uh, pretty good spot here to make a, a really solid charge for that third automatic qualification slot uh, for the 2023 World Cup qualifier. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The more League Two goes on, the more I lament
2: how we're going to get to the end of this and the team coming first is not fighting out for potential of getting into the Super League. <laughs> you know, seeing how Scotland are, are fighting towards the top of the table and Namibia, I wouldn't even say with a wet sail, it's just that they have played fewer games and they've, they've got more, more to make up, is to, to see how a team like Namibia, who I sort of think back to World Cup League 2 and the way that they fought out of that, uh, before the, the prior cycle to, to get into the top leagues, well, at least the top leagues of sort of associate cricket, to get where they are, then World Cup auto-qualification for the next World Cup and to see how they're building and thinking, w- wouldn't it be great to know where they could go next or good to see them tested in 50 over cricket, which at the moment will be the longest format cricket they have a chance to play against top nation. And instead was sort of hoping that they can sort of get through this qualification Pathway from League two into the World Cup qualifier, and and find one of those last two spots for the for the World Cup, and I, I think probably the same as uh, Mr. Bezwick in that I can't profess to have, have watched a lot of this over over the last few days, uh, only to see the scores and and the, the clips and to see uh, Andrew Leonard's comments in our in our chat groups about various things that that are going on. But I think to what you said of how they're creating this base group of players that they can pull from, that means that when a JJ Smith, as an example of someone who we've celebrated in the past of being a sort of a future star, or a current star, but someone who could really break into the the mainstream, but is being supplemented and, and not so much supplanted, but there are players coming through that are able to do the jobs of these players, which is exciting to see, and I guess a credit to, to everyone in, in, in Cricket Namibia, but uh, yeah, the, the, the USA thing is is a challenge as well, isn't it? You sort of think about our discussions in the past few months of us thinking that they were starting to get it right, that they were being consistent, that this this disparate group of players were coming together more consistently and they were working as a team and better selection choices and young players were being picked from the minor leagues and it just seems to have come to a bit of a screeching halt. And then I sort of come to PNG and just sort of, I guess there's more lament. It's, it's, we've, been, we've been talking about it for almost two years now, haven't we, of the the group of players and the struggles that they're seeing, and, and and where is the where's the way out? They're under a, another new coach. I don't think we've seen any new players be be blooded in this side, nor any from the under 19 squads. And and sort of think what next for this team? You know, we're sort of talking about other Pacific teams, and I don't want to put PNG in the same in the same bucket by by any stretch. But I think I sort of I get thinking the same way as we get to the back end of this tournament and to to see them come out with a with a solitary win um, and think that, you know, there's going to be playoffs and uh, and depending what the ICC decide, what with 50 over cricket they're going to do and the structure of that, the bottom 18 teams uh, in the, the 50 over cricket cycle for, for men's cricket. It's, it, it's a challenge because you think about the, the amount of time that they've had to spend playing away, but, now that they're playing at home, and uh, I guess we're not seeing anything different. It's, a, it's more of a question to Bez. And I saw Daniel. You answer a tweet about Nepal, and if somebody gave us a podcast to talk about, you know, what their struggles are. I think at the moment we're probably seeing it similarly from a, a PNG point of view, where a team that we all want to do well and the talent we've seen over a number of years and the, and the fight. I sort of I, I wonder. I wonder what's next. I guess the question is posed really with them hosting their their first home international cricket since covid uh, and to see these performances us all hoping that it'd be different at home how do you see it
0: yeah there was promise and we were in vanuatu checking the the live score as it looked as if png were going to get through and win that first game that ended up being a tie and it's almost a microcosm of everything kind of going wrong in in PNG 50 over cricket. And we know they're going through a transitional period. And I don't know. One of the conversations that we've often had is that normally when you see board dysfunction, that generally leads to player or, or team dysfunction. So Nepal issues with the board, issues on the field, USA has had a very tumultuous time getting up and running over a number of years under a, under several different boards. Only now we're starting to see some sort of semblance of some sort of organization of USA Cricket, but the team still hasn't caught up. And then you look at p and and the issues with coaches post-Joe Dawes, and as a result on the field, you can see that things aren't in sync. So when you are so reliant on just a few different people and and Tim you're involved in an associate board now you know what it's like if if everyone in a small group is not pulling in the same direction it normally ends in chaos and we're seeing that from all of these members that we've just mentioned you know it doesn't take a genius to kind of work out that yeah you need everything and everyone pulling in the same direction for things to work and that's why Namibia have been so good in the last three years because the organization has been good that's why Oman in one day cricket have been very good. They've been at a T Twenty World Cup. UAE, you could have probably said the same thing up until about five weeks ago, when you know they all of a sudden decide to make these wholesale changes. Again, you you don't need to be Einstein to work out that you know if there's issues off the field, they tend to creep in to issues on. And just to talk about that, it it leads in almost perfectly to our next topic, being teams are announcing their T Twenty World Cup squads. Uh, Ireland's just dropped just a few moments ago as we start recording but the big story comes probably out of UAE with Ron Mustafa left out of the UAE squad entirely we know that there was a dramatic change on the eve of the Asia Cup where uh, Ahmed Raza was he he basically had his captaincy taken off him and and given to CP Rizwan while still keeping the one-day captaincy that's Ahmed Raza that is then Raza and Roan Mustafa was left out of the team towards the back end of that Asia Cup campaign. Now, Roan Mustafa, who is the ninth T20I ranked all-rounder in the world, and again, you know, the caveat being that player rankings and and MRF tie player rankings aren't probably necessarily the greatest reflection of where players sit. The numbers in this respect kind of don't lie as to how important Roan Mustafa has been to UAE cricket. To see him completely left out of the squad with little to no explanation, radio silence from Mustafa himself hints that there is something dramatically going wrong in UAE cricket and we've tried to kind of uncover it and we've basically been silenced at every turn. You know, that's going back to when Raza's captaincy was relinquished. So I don't know how much we can really talk about this without being too speculative, Nick, but... There's clearly something not right in the UAE camp if you're leaving out a player of Roan Mustafa's quality out of the T20 World Cup squad, you know, when the competition is starting in under a month's time now, and someone who was so pivotal in their qualification and their meteoric rise out of the ashes, you know, given their fixing debacle and and everyone sort of leaving in that exodus, that force exodus, if you will, to have someone like this miss out, there's got to be something wrong.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very strange. As as we said when uh, Raza was removed from the captaincy, it's just a completely baffling decision, you know? It's not like Mustafa was playing particularly badly. He was still one of the UAE's more consistent performers with both bat and ball. And, you know, Raza and Mustafa, they're two guys who grew up together in the UAE and have come through their age group program and, and their local development pathways. And to be kind of... Pushing them to the outer of the team at a time when you're... I mean, this is a, a chance for the UAE to really show what they can do on the world stage. You know, they haven't been at a World Cup since the 2015, 50-over uh, World Cup, and they've literally never qualified for a T20 World Cup. So leaving out Rohan Mustafa in that context is just baffling because he's the kind of guy who will give 100% for this for the team at every turn, and he's so committed to this squad Uh, I I am reminded of the the 2019 description that PDP had of him comparing to him to Claude Lemieux who was a a hockey player who was uh, renowned for um uh well being dirty player but more so the fact that he he was just always going to give absolutely everything to to get you over the line uh in, in a victory and that's kind of what you need from from a team and you know the fact that they're leaving out a guy with such experience who wasn't even performing badly. Meanwhile, yeah, Raza is stripped of the captaincy and, and the captaincy is then given to somebody who isn't necessarily performing that well. Yeah, it's just very strange. And as we said at the time, if Robin Singh has some kind of grand master plan of what he's what he's thinking... Come out and explain it, you know. Don't don't just leave everyone speculating in the dark because that's just gonna cause these issues to yeah. you know fester and, and, and create more mistrust and, and confusion. And I, I don't see how this can possibly lead to a healthy team environment. You know, it, you know, one of the calls that he's made is Richard Aravind coming in as vice captain, which I think is a good decision because Aravind is the future of this UAE side. And if he was able to play as vice captain under the tutelage of Ahmed Raza, who's who's had that experience and and who's you know been the spine of this team for well all over a decade, I think that would be a lot more helpful for him than than CP Rizwan, who, as we've said, is is not a bad player. It's just that he has not played a whole lot of T Twenty cricket and his record in in that format isn't particularly good. So it's yeah, it's just very strange and it it doesn't make sense that they're not at least explaining the the logic behind some of this. You think over to England, where you know there's a lot of speculation all the time around Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad and, and various other players, but you know at least the management does come out and periodically explain what their thinking is in terms of leaving people in or out or resting them or, or you know whatever else. Here we're just getting nothing, and and that's really not good enough from a from the team management.
2: Yeah, I don't have too much more to add. I think it all goes back to that period after the UAEs. Well, I guess you would say. Tumultuous World Cup qualifier for the Men's T20 World Cup in the end of 2019 when you know almost half the team was suspended for, for match-fixing and now banned. And we saw, a, I thought it was a Phoenix-like rebirth of the, of the team and, and the sport there with the way that young players came through and played well. And you know, they didn't get there, but they only were one game away. And to see how this team came together and then to see that the head coach more or less sacked and to see the changes that have come see, come from them, you know, you don't have to look too far to see where these changes have, have stemmed from. Uh, so the fact that we've seen young players come through and play really well, Aravind, as, as you mentioned, it, it is great. I just hope that it's not in a situation that is going to be one that is repelling the likes of the Aravinds of the world who want to be around it and want to be spending time around UAE cricket because... There's some decisions here that like unless there's more to them and I guess it's their prerogative if they don't want to talk about it. But, you know, it's very strange when you leave out a top ten all all rounder in in, in global cricket leading up to a World Cup, especially when, when he and the captain who's just been sacked have been so key to that that side building to this point of getting there. It just it's one of those things. It's like we, we can only speculate because it's just silence and then these sort of cryptic press releases that address them but don't. They address them as they kind of sidestep you and avert their eyes from you as you're trying to get their attention and they slip out the side door.
0: It's a word jumble. Like, it's just you read it and I don't think you're supposed to really understand it. I think it's one of those things where they almost make it so jargonistic that you kind of just pretend to know what you're reading and you don't really that seems to be my impression and just to kind of finish up The point, if you were to look at the Ireland and the Scotland squads, two teams who did play at the T20 World Cup last year and they've picked very similar squads, the only really major changes in those teams is the fact that Ireland lost Kevin O'Brien. Well, they weren't really that keen on picking him again and it sort of forced his hand into retirement. And then Kyle Kutzer announced his retirement from Scottish cricket and they're the only really big ins and outs of those teams. Brandon McMullen's been picked by Scotland... Sterling County all-rounder I think he's come from South African cricket he's been in Scottish cricket for a number of years now uh the big news out of Ireland was that PJ Moore who would have been eligible to play for Ireland after switching allegiances from Zimbabwe uh was still beaten out to a spot by keeper Lorcan Tucker who seems to be showing quite an aptitude with the bat now but it just shows that you know these teams are looking for continuity and it's the same with the Netherlands who have brought back Tom Cooper but the rest of the squad is relatively the same, you know, outside of Ryan Descada retiring on, on that side as well, not a whole lot's changed. And, and the same can be said about Namibia with Craig Williams. So for UAE, who didn't qualify for the last edition, got to the qualifier A earlier in the year, did so well, had been arguably the best associate team on paper coming into the tournament, going back, say two months ago is now missing two of their, well, one of, one of their best players and one of, their other best players not leading the team. So, yeah, it's going to be weird. And if you were to look at sort of a power rankings of of the 16 teams at the tournament that will feature here on our shores of Australia very soon, I've probably got UAE in 16th out of, you know, out of all the 16 teams. And that's with the changes now. I can't see them getting out of that group with the, the team and the score that they've put up. And just to finish up, and I'm sure there might be quite a few people listening, wondering how much of the Women's T20 World Cup qualifier in UAE, we'll talk about, we're going to focus a lot of our attention on that next week as we're awkwardly halfway through the group stage of that tournament as we're recording tonight, looking at Zimbabwe taking control with a a win over Thailand as we're recording. But again, it's too early for us to make... Uh, a huge judgment about that tournament. So make sure to look out for that next week, as well as the men's ACA T20 tournament in South Africa as well. So so with that in mind, we'll wrap up the show this week. Huge thanks to Nick, Tim, and Mel Goldberg who joined us on this week's show to talk all things Emerging Cricket. To keep up with news and events from the Games New World, make sure to log on to EmergerCricket.com as well as following Emerging Cricket wherever you are on social media we'll be back next week as mentioned to wrap up the action that is going on awkwardly halfway through for us as we record this week but for now on behalf of Nick, Tim, Mel and myself Daniel Beswick it's goodbye